I called an artist formerly known as my boyfriend for dental advice on the weekend. And why did you do that? Because his uh, it's a cost of living crisis. Why did you talk to your? No. You ever met this one? He was actually really nice. My mum quite liked him. Position is currently vacant for those who are looking for. Thanks, mate. Grant Robertson would be a much bigger threat to Lamingtons than Lamingtons would be a threat to Grant Robertson. Enough is slushing! I wonder whether or not anyone ever asked Barack Obama and John Key if they met because they were of similar age. High taxing, big spending, big government. OK, Boomer. National will get New Zealand back on track. New Zealand is the greatest little country in the world. Hello and welcome back to the Iron Duke podcast, a podcast we sometimes put out on all things policy and politics, where we run you through our peaks and our pits, interesting bits and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the globe. I am joined live in Iron Duke studios with principal consultant Byron Terrace. Maddie, it's great to be back on yet another episode of the Sometimes Iron Duke podcast. This week we are going to be joined by an emerging economist to talk transport because God knows there's a lot going on in the transport space. We're all going to be talking about dentistry. We're going to be talking about renewable electricity, some carbon. We're going to be talking about these new tunnels. And we're also going to be talking about some cuts the opposition are proposing to MB. So, Maddie, why don't you start us off with your peak of the week? Mine is the Green Party policies on free dental care. That is right, universal free dental care for anything that is not cosmetic. So they're not going to pay for your braces, but they will pay for the hygienist, for your fillings, for your crowns, for your wisdom teeth. They'll pay for anything that needs to come out, if your jaw needs to be done, any sort of surgery. The Green Party is saying enough is enough for the inequitable outcomes that we have in our oral health care system, basically. Did you know the average trip to the dentist cost you 350 bucks? I did after I saw it reported after the Green Party thing. Yeah, well, there you go. And they're bringing it to the forefront. And it's really interesting because it's one of those things a lot of people view going to the dentist as a luxury, as a nice to have. You know, 80% of New Zealanders do not go to the dentist annually. In fact, it's been reported that New Zealand's dental costs or the rate in which New Zealanders go to the dentist is even worse than the United States due to how expensive it is. So I think this is a real winner. Cost is one thing, but what is the marginal cost for the next person to come into the dentist? In the UK, when they went to the NHS, the National Healthcare Service, you have the hypochondriac situation, right? So people that constantly turn up to the dent- to the uh, GP because it's free. Mm. That places an immense cost and pressure on a public healthcare system. So if you place this marginal cost on dentists, which at the moment are mostly small businesses, I don't know where you're going to magic up the extra capacity for. And I guarantee putting something into the public healthcare system, which is, as we know, a tough place to do business, we'll see poorer dental outcomes for New Zealanders. I would rather my taxes pay for the dental care of a few hypochondriacs than those living below the median income in New Zealand, the 80% of New Zealanders who don't bother to go to the dentist and have worst health and lifestyle outcomes as a result of not being able to afford this, miss out. Fair enough. What's your peak of the week, Byron? My peak of the week is climate change, actually. Not the change in climate itself, but the moves afoot globally, including here, to actually tackle it. So the US government has uh, not announced this yet, but they've uh, set aside $3.5 billion per annum to pay for and buy carbon removals for the first time a government 
is now going to be purchasing carbon removal credits. So this is that direct air capture technology where you're sucking carbon from out. Quite exciting, actually, when yes, you think about it. exactly. So basically sucking carbon dioxide straight out of the atmosphere. Now, at the moment, it's incredibly expensive. It's about $2,000 per tonne of carbon that you get out of the atmosphere uh, with existing technology. This, this uh, investment is about $3.5 billion a year US, aiming to get the costs down to something more akin to $200 a tonne, which is about the carbon price uh, globally. It's about what you need for people to invest in that too. Correct. Locally, the government's just announced a whole bunch of fast tracking in the legislation, the RMA legislation, to get a bunch of wind farms, a bunch of solar panels up to create over a thousand extra megawatts of renewable generation in New Zealand. So that's actually a pretty sizable chunk, and it's spread out right across the country, including in geothermal and hydro down south. So you're actually seeing a fair chunk of cash now going towards reducing emissions. Globally, So I think there's a good movement in the climate space when it comes to our government and also over in the USA. There is one issue that I do have, though, and that's the RMA is so fucking broken that you need a fast-track legislation. So we need to speed up So your peak of the week that. is the fast-track legislation? Peak of the week is just governments doing good shit about climate change. Amazing. That was quite a quite a thematic one. Beautiful. It was a, yeah, very much theme-based. Very based. special. Well, hey, but not everything's <laughs> good in the world, Maddie. Okay. Climate change is pretty bad. It's a big pit. But what's your pit of the word? Um, I'm talking about act cuts. Act not cuts. tax cuts, yeah. but act cuts. Like no more actors or no, Shortland Street's getting cut? The act party wants oh. to cut just about every other person we walk past on Lambton Quay. Yes, every second bureaucrat. Yeah, and it, it essentially works out to be that. So that's the first thing we've got to do is we've got to stop the endless waste of taxpayer money that's inflationary. They're going to take the Ministry of Business and Innovation and Employment from 6,000 people down to 3,000 people. as big as our army. In fact, that's bigger. Yeah, it probably just as useful. Wow. <laughs> An army of bureaucrats. The reason that it is my pit of the week is because, to be honest, I'm quite supportive of a lot of the cuts of the people that were in front of me at line at um, uh, Sakura Katsu on Lambda Key. But the reason it is my pit is because of the nature of where a lot of these cuts are coming from. They're actually not coming from smart places where there is wasteful government spending. They're coming from highly politicised, culture war-esque programmes, and they are really just there to win votes, not so much to get the balance sheet down. So a couple of those examples, they're cutting the Three Waters programme, Hiwaka Ekanoa, so that's the emissions pricing programme. Program, light rail, the RMA reform, let's get Wellington moving, anything to do with like teaching your kids anything more liberal or woke that MOE is doing. And again, this is just one of those things where they have gone through and scrapped a whole bunch of programs. Some of those actually doing a little bit of good, some of them doing a lot of good, and they've done it to win the votes of angry white middle New Zealand males. This is that kind of equal and opposite reaction, though, to a government doing activist things, right? Mm. And then you get the other government come in and, oh, it swings to the other side. Mm. That's what you're seeing here. And there's a huge loss of productivity on a lot of those programs as well. Productivity in the public service? Mm. Uh, yeah, good point. You, good point. You know, I concede. I concede. It's pretty challenging. What's your pit of the week, Byron? My pit of the week, and this is to segue neatly into what we will be talking about next, is... The government, and this is the government, this isn't the Labour Party, this is the government announcing some seriously big tunnels mm. for Auckland. $45 billion worth of magical, mythical tunnels that will be able to take you, your car, and your magical light rail light tram rail over to the North Shore in Auckland. It's and to Albany. What happens in Albany? Oh, there's a stadium. There's, not a, from there. there's a stadium there. There's a stadium. And there's some housing developments. Um, 
so nothing. So there was that Chinese cool. barbecue restaurant that that guy with COVID went to so often <laughs> that everyone was like, whoa, this place must be mint. Turns out it was. So that's in Albany. Um, but these these tunnels, you know, two for cars, one for light rail, and then the light rail tunnel kind of zigzags across the North Shore. The mayor, turns out, he found out about this proposal on the same day as the press release. Yes, because it's got no mates. Uh, exactly, no mates, but also, you know, no one was going to tell the Auckland Council what we're going to do to your city, which is just bizarre. And if you believe that this government, the government of Kiwi Build, the government of Light Rail, the government of Three Waters Reform, could genuinely build these tunnels, you must be delusional. And they must be delusional to announce it not on Labour Party letterhead. This would be fine as some like, you know, mythical election year, uncosted policy. Mm. Look, this is what we want to do. But the fact that it was a government announcement mm. as the Minister of Transport with Waka Kote standing right there, you know, a public official that's just been bl- yeah, Brett Glidden, that's his name. That's he was idea. blindly politicised. I think the whole program is trash. It wasn't and what's even more? Keep going. Oh, it Don't just stop. riles me up so much. Is that the transport kind of Twitter nerds who usually just love anything that's to do with cycleways, tunnels, you know, light rail. Even they said this plan is insane. No serious transport planner would have designed this. Mm. And when you kind of look towards, you know, the, the lean into the activists on your side of politics, when you've lost your kind of sycophantic transport activists, sycophantic, you wow. have lost the debate, Labour and the Greens. I do think there is room in the New Zealand market for a boring tunnel, though, because when you think about it, every party so far has got a tunnel on the agenda. It's, uh, they just want roads now. We are going to see a Waiheke tunnel before we know it. A Waiheke tunnel. We're going to see a Cook Strait tunnel. I think to discuss that, we should bring in an economist. <laughs> That's what I think we should do. And here to cost the weird and wonderful ideas of the future is Andrew Schultz from Sense Partners. Today we're joined by emerging economist Andrew Schultz from Sense Partners. He's uh, an incredibly intelligent guy, one of my best mates, and it's really good to have your insights today to talk about all things kind of transport related. I also like Andrew. Cool. Context. That's great. Great to be here, team. Thanks, man. So where do you see public transport versus roads versus the whole transport discussion right now? Where does logic sit? Because right now I can't see much logic. Probably the main issue in transport planning is when we look at transport, we only think about transport. How do you get from A to B? But the biggest question is where is A Oh, and where is B? So you're saying that instead of focusing on what transport should be and as an enabler, people are just focusing on it as a point-to-point thing. Yeah. Is that what you're yeah. trying to say? So it's been changing in the past few years, yeah. primarily because people have realised that in order to justify large projects, you need to squeeze out some benefits Somewhere. So you need a good cost benefit analysis. Yeah, you need a good cost benefit analysis. That's where you come in. I see what's going on here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Shameless plug for Sense Partners. Yeah, and that goes for both light rail, public transport, and roads. Mm. You know, need some good land use change, urban development. Think of Transmission Gully. How many people might be moving up the coast? I often think of Transmission Gully. Although I say that more seriously. Yeah, that's very (laughs) very true. Yeah. So how do we get to a better transport discussion? So, first of all, it is the land use change thing that I mentioned before. So we have to think about what we're doing with our land, where we're doing that, as well as how we get around. Mm. So it's going to be a heck of a lot easier to lower the cost of transport and reduce our emissions if we allow 
areas close into our major city centres to densify. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, rethink what we're trying to do when we build transport stuff. People often talk about congestion, mm. trying to fix congestion. Yeah, that seems uh, like a pretty logical thing. No. <laughs> you can't fix congestion with more roads. So when you widen a highway, you make it easier to drive around so more people drive, so you go back to congestion, right? Yeah, yeah. sounds good. But you just increase the scale of the problem. But don't buses well, no. need roads? So there's more people on the roads, right, doing stuff. That's a good thing. What? Yes. Oh, whoa, 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 that took a turn. What do you mean it took a turn? There's more people on the roads doing stuff. You just yeah. Say, oh, okay, go so, on. So so often people talk about highways and, oh, we can't do that because... Or induced demand. So, right? so yeah, 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 induced demand. This is exactly it. And Christopher Luxon, he'll say, we're going to fight congestion by building a road. It's not going to work. Right? And then people say, well, it's not going to work. So we can't do it. <laughs> Thing is, congestion isn't really the issue you should be fighting. Good Lord. Because you can't fight it with roads. And the only way to really reduce congestion is um, by having a really, really good alternative. Yeah. So in like major cities like London, yeah. you'll often find that congestion and road travel times are benchmarked by tra- uh, public transport. If public transport's faster, people will switch to public transport. Yeah. Less cars on the road, it goes faster. So congestion comes down, but it kind of reaches a balance, an equilibrium, you could say. Ooh. Travel speeds aren't as sensitive to the number of people on the train or the bus. They'll kind of... Even out. Even out. So what you're saying is that by making a more effective public transport network, uh-huh. you'll make it nicer to drive on. That seems pretty basic. Usually, yeah. 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 It's uh, caveats, you know. Yeah. Um, it's very, very difficult for public transport to compete effectively with a free-flowing road. Yeah. Oh, that's um, a free-flowing road, though. Huh? Oh man, I, love, I love a free-flowing road. I, I would challenge that further. It's, it's actually really hard to retrofit existing cities to be great places where public transport infrastructure exists because you, you use the example of London. Now, the London Underground has been there for hundreds of years. And you look at any major city in the world where they have high, high population density, all of their public transport systems are really well established. How do we overcome that? London's one of the biggest cities in the world. Um, so let's compare ourselves to somewhere kind of nearby. You know, like Canberra is a small town, uh-huh. basically. And they built a light rail line. They were able to do that. So what do we need yeah. to get to the point where we can actually justify big investments in PT or in roads or whatever? What do we need? So, I mean, it really does come back to thinking of the problem in terms of both land use and transport. Yep. Because we've kind of forced our cities to sprawl outwards through land use rules. Yes, we have. And if you kind of ease those rules, which you're in the process of doing, you get a lot of people coming back in towards the CBD so we can get a lot of people moving around without actually having to do very much. And A to B becomes more obvious. Well, because you go through the whole alphabet, right? That's what this yeah. whole urban development kind of piece is. is A to B, to? you introduce C much closer to B and have more people there. You so don't there's more demand for A to B to C? Uh, more demand for C to B, possibly stable demand for A to B. Right, sure. So it's in ter- So how do you get people from where they live to where they work? Is one you can build a big road, two you can build a big train, or three you can take where they live and put it close to where they work, so that they can walk there. So in order for us to mature as a country in our transport discussion, we've actually got to mature in cities, mm. right? Yes, that's what you're saying. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So denser cities, something similar to what you'd see in Europe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Not so much North America; they're very sprawling. Mm. Um, it's a very Anglo-Saxon thing. 
to have land use rules that force cities to spread out. How did you feel when the Nats announced their $21 billion worth of four-lane highways everywhere and the double-laning of the uh, of the new tunnel here in Wellington? How did uh-huh. you feel? What did As you say? As an economist. As an economist. Travel between cities, right, say from Hamilton to Tauranga, you're not always um, going to be able to do that with trains, for example. Yeah. You know, so... If you, know, lots of if, people out there like trains, right? Yeah, lots of people like trains. Uh, when you look at public transport of any kind, the, the biggest issue is the last mile issue. Mm-hmm. How do you get from the station to wherever it is you want to go? Mm. For example, if you took a train into the centre of Tauranga from Hamilton. Exactly. There's a or lot of places actually, you want to go in that sprawl. Great example. You take Tahuya from Auckland to Hamilton. You arrive at a train station, simple platform, middle of Hamilton, but it's quite far away from the CBD. There are no public transport connections to that station. So it just has to be a big car park. Yeah, or you could taxi. Very expensive though. So it kind of kneecaps the whole service. So when you're looking at travel between cities, rail can be harder because it's not just about from the centre of Hamilton to the centre of Tauranga. It's about well, how does people get from the station to all the various places they might want to get to within Tauranga. that's not just the case for trains. You could say the same for a bus, right? Because you're going from one bus depot to the other bus depot. Yeah, correct. Of course, buses, you can actually put them on the road so you could do multiple stops throughout the city, that kind of thing. So to have a more efficient bus network, we need more roads. Not necessarily. You can just reallocate road space from cars to buses. But doesn't that infuriate voters because then you get congestion? Well, then you're improving public transport. And therefore you're making, yeah, exactly, your benchmark comes down. Because now you are no longer on the fast-moving, flowing road that you are so in love with. You are watching people on the bus being on that fast-moving, flowing road. No, it's a good good point. I mean, to densify cities is a pretty difficult task, though, because you've Mm. got to get over cultural barriers. You've got that, you know, yes, it's a very Anglo-Saxon thing. You've got to get over incentives and rules and that kind of thing. Well, no, I think the cultural barriers are way overstated. Okay. I think uh, there's a sort of explanation that people have. They say, uh, we in New Zealand, we don't want to live in high-density cities. We want to live in the quarter-acre section lifestyle block. And the evidence of that is the fact that everyone lives mostly in low-density suburbs, right? But you're forgetting that the rules prevent us from doing very much else. So you can't really look at the past experience of New Zealand cities and say, we're living like this because we want to live like this when there's rules that force us to live like that. Right, and then everywhere they've re- eased those rules, people have suddenly quite happily gone to living in terraced houses and apartments and that kind of thing. So I think the cultural explanation is not a reliable explanation. Like what is a more reliable explanation is the fact that what prohibits people more often than cost is actually the reliability and the consistency of a public transport system, and that's something New Zealand yeah. hasn't adequately... Correct. Just touching on, on Auckland light rail for a second, because, of course, one of the big long tunnels that uh, Labor would like to build is a light rail tunnel. Why would you, why, why would you put light rail in a tunnel? Why would you put it in a trench? What, what's going on there? It doesn't make sense. Yeah? So the pro- one of the problems with light rail is that there is no fixed definition of what light rail is. Uh-huh. So you can't disprove light rail. It's a vibe. <laughs> you can't disprove light rail. It's, yes, it is a vibe. It can be everything to everyone at the same time and you can't disprove it. Schrodinger's so, train. <laughs> yeah. 
It's both, it's, both light, it's both light and heavy at the same time. That's exactly it. It's Schrodinger's it's, train. It's at, tu- it's at grade and in a tunnel at the same time. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's probably why they're digging a tunnel, because they're actually digging its grave. <laughs> How, how deep's the tunnel? Six feet. They're going to dig the tunnel and seal up both ends, call it a day. Six feet under Dominion Road. <laughs> yeah, that project's dead as a dodo, really, yeah, isn't it? That ain't going to yeah, go. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Hopefully, because it's a terrible idea. Mm. So light rail, it's, uh, in, you know, you might think of a little French city with a sort of trammy looking thing, right? Uh, it can go up steeper gradients. You know, trains, they've got metal wheels on rails. Yeah. Cable cars, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they so We've got heavy trains can't really go up hills very well. Little light rail can go up hills a little better. Oh, we've got hills in Wellington. That's useful. yes, yes, ah. yes. Exactly. We've got hills in constrained geography in Wellington. Mm. Auckland, not so much. I've still got hills, right? So if you had a train at street level, you wanted to save on land acquisition costs by running on the street. Light rail's good because it can go up those hills. It can take the tight corners that cars can. Within reason, yep. right? That's the whole benefit of light rail. So if you then put it in a really, really expensive, largely flat straight tunnel. Waste of time. There's, <laughs> it's a complete waste of time. It's a complete waste of time. And remember the point of light rail is it's cheaper, but it comes at the expense of capacity. Yes. So it can't carry as many people. So why are you building a really expensive tunnel to put a tram in it that can't carry that many people. Yeah. Oh, that's a great takedown of Walking Light Rail. Is ridiculous. Brilliant. I think that's a great way to finish our little chit chat. Mr. Schultz. Yeah. Mr. Schultz, as is tradition on the Iron Trek podcast, we'd like to bestow upon you this um, 50th anniversary of our podcast mug to say thank you very much for your time. And we'd also like to finish you off with a quick hot or not. Dreaming of roads. Hot. Trackless trams. Not. Uh, rail spur from Puanui to Auckland Airport. Hot. Oh. Nice. That's good balance. What do you got, Maddie? I'm not as interested in um, transport, so I've just got some other good ideas from the last seven days. Uh, an open air saltwater pool in Auckland Harbour. I have no. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> That's called the harbour. <laughs> A roast duck, onion, and mushroom pie winning pie of the year. Hot. And women's sports viewership up 28% since 2020. I want sport. Hey, Andrew, this has been really interesting nerding out on transport shit with you. So thank you so much for coming in and having this discussion, man. Really yeah. appreciate it. No worries. No worries. Cool. Well, listeners, remember, if you're in traffic, you are traffic. And until then, we'll, we'll see, see you next week. week.